0: morning we are continuing our teaching series entitled 23, where we are exploring together one of the most beloved and most familiar passages in all of the scriptures, and that is the 23rd Psalm. And we are looking together in these six weeks at how when we walk with the Lord, our shepherd, and, and depend on him for provision and protection, we lack Nothing. And you know, it's funny sometimes uh, the way that God provides. You know, this time, two weeks ago, uh, I had just gotten back into the swing of things after being away for several weeks because of some family health issues. And, uh, and not surprisingly, coming back like it always is, it's a little bit like getting a drink out of a fire hose. I just had a very full week. Uh, one of those weeks where a number of monthly meetings that I have just all kind of coincided on the same week. Uh, There were appointments with people that had been previously postponed because of my absence. There was an all-day training with the Honduras team on Saturday, church on Sunday, a get-together with friends after church, hosting the monthly board game night at Red Rock that Sunday night. And then I also managed to get exposed to COVID, and on Monday night, started to experience some symptoms, and then on Tuesday, tested positive uh, for the first time ever. And it just felt like the worst timing Ever, I mean, you you really, you really can't make this stuff up. Um, And then, as uh, as only God could orchestrate, of course, the message for that coming week was on rest. And uh, and for all the irony, uh, it was hard not to hear God speaking through that, uh, given the tenor of the previous six weeks. It was hard not to see the inevitable quarantine that I was facing uh, as an invitation to rest. And so I have been resting in the green pastures of COVID uh, for nearly two weeks now, uh, living and working in our garage, which I have affectionately come to refer to as uh, my department g- and my gar office. And, uh, and uh, I'm grateful to Julie for so graciously and willingly stepping in last week to speak again while I was in quarantine. You know, sometimes God refreshes us in very unexpected ways, uh, just when we need it the most. Well, during my quarantine, uh, I finished watching a show that I had been into recently, a show called The Race to Survive Alaska on the USA Network. And uh, The Race to Survive Alaska is an interesting combination of adventure racing and survival. There were four legs to the race, and at the beginning of each of the legs, each team of two contestants are given a map for where they have to go during this leg of the race and a few provisions to sustain them. And in each leg, they have two days to finish the course. And each day they're able to race for 12 hours and then there's a mandatory stop and they have to rest until the race begins again on the next day. And I have to confess that I, I have a real fascination with shows like this. This isn't the only one, but I'll spare you the details. I think you know it emerges out of being someone who did not grow up camping at all, ever. Uh, and I think I am, I am just in awe of the skills and the experiences that people have that are so far outside of my skills and experience. But anyway, the, the race to survive Alaska was really interesting because of all the various dimensions to it, right? On the one hand, it's a race, and so speed is important. But on the other hand, as important as speed in a race like this is navigation, because sometimes due to factors like terrain and elevation and other things, the shortest distance between two points is not always the fastest. And so being able to read a map and navigate and quickly assess the right path is huge. In fact, in the final episode, the team that was ahead during the last leg of the race actually wound up finishing in second because of the navigational error. And there was a point where the teammates disagreed about where they were located. And the teammate who was more confident in their assessment about which way to go and more concerned about making a decision quickly so that the team would not lose valuable time, won out in that decision-making process and wound up leading the team along the wrong path, which caused them to have to backtrack and ultimately finish not in first place. Well, this morning, as we continue our journey through Psalm 23, we're going to look together at the end of verse 3, which says this He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. As we walk with the Lord our shepherd, David reminds us that he always guides us along the right paths. Now, one of the things that makes Psalm 23 so rich is how intimately familiar David is with sheep and shepherding based on his own experience. Now, David was highly aware of how completely dependent sheep are. And one of the many things that sheep struggle with is poor eyesight. Like sheep are only able to see what is directly in front of them. And because of that, they have very little situational awareness. And, and, and so they are totally dependent on the shepherd for guidance. And David's description of God's guidance here in Psalm 23 richly underscores that. So, shepherding in ancient Israel was an itinerant profession. Uh, it was migratory by nature. And so shepherds were always on the move with their flocks. They were always on the move from pasture to pasture to pasture in search of good grazing land with the changing seasons. And we see an example of this, actually, in Genesis chapter 37, when Jacob sends his son Joseph out to check on his brothers and the flocks. Genesis chapter 37, verse 12, says, Now his brothers, Joseph's brothers, had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Now, not only do those verses give us a sense of the, the migratory nature of shepherding, but they also give us the sense that there was a defined route to that migration as well. And the scriptures tell us that Jacob's home was in Hebron, which is about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And Hebron is a place where there is almost no rainfall at all between the months of May and September, which would require the flocks to be taken somewhere else for grazing. And that is precisely what is very likely going on here in Genesis chapter 37. Verse 12 says that Jacob's sons had gone to graze the flocks near Shechem. But something else that we see from the text is that there seems to be a path that was established for this migration as well. Look again at what Jacob says to Joseph at the beginning of verse 13. He says, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send send you to them. Now those words, as you know there at the beginning of the verse, suggest that some kind of regular route had been established for Jacob's flocks. Probably an annual circuit based on the climate in order to keep the sheep in pastures. And because of that, Jacob knew where his sons were. He knew that his sons were near Shechem, which was about 50 miles away, incidentally, because, and he knew that because that was the route. Right? That was the place where good pasture could be found at this time of year. And then we see even further evidence of this migratory nature of shepherding. When Joseph arrives in Shechem, only to find that his brothers weren't there anymore. Right? Joseph is out in the field wandering around looking for his brothers when someone tells him they've gone on up to the fields near Dotham. They'd moved on about another 15 miles or so to find pasture lands. And so by the time that Joseph catches up with his brothers, ultimately, he is miles and miles and miles away from home. And of course, at that point, you might remember, uh, things don't go very well for Joseph, Joseph's brothers were not happy to see him and they seized him, sold him to some Midianite merchants and and those merchants took him to Egypt. And then after all of that, Joseph's brothers returned back home to Jacob's with the flocks, completing that seasonal migratory circuit. And they told their father a fabricated story about what had happened to their brother. But all of that reinforces this idea that the shepherds knew the path. They knew where they were going as the year unfolded. They knew how to migrate. They knew the circuit. They knew how to guide the sheep. And here in Psalm 23, we see David, who, as a shepherd himself, would have guided his flock in the same kind of way We see see David recognizing that same quality in the Lord, our shepherd. Because when we look closely at Psalm 23, we see a similar kind of circuit. Psalm 23 begins in the green pastures near the quiet waters. It continues along the right paths through the darkest valley, on the way back to the master's house, ultimately, where there is a table that has been prepared. And as he charts that circuit, David is reminding us of something important. As he charts that circuit, David is reminding us of something important. And that is that God, as our shepherd, knows where he is going. As he guides us, the Lord, our shepherd, knows where he is going. Now, if we're honest, uh, we wonder about that sometimes probably, right? Right? I know that I certainly do, especially during times that feel uncertain or unstable, right? whether it be something at work or at home, instability or uncertainty with a relationship or with kids or with our physical health or our emotional health or a struggle that we may be having spiritually. We might wonder about God's guiding us during times of transition or change, like we're walking through together as a church community. But rest assured, David reminds us here that God, in all of his sovereignty and in all of his goodness, always knows where he is going. God always guides us along the right paths. He always guides us along the faithful paths, the well-worn paths. And notice at the end of verse 3 of Psalm 23 why God does that. It says, He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, one of the many ways that God describes himself in the scriptures is as a jealous God, which is one of those aspects of God's character that always sounds odd. That Shakespeare famously likened jealousy as a green-eyed monster in the play Othello. And I think we tend to think of jealousy as something negative as well. That envy, selfishness, possessiveness, distrust. Those are all things that that we associate with jealousy. And none of them are particularly endearing. And so it always sounds kind of strange, to me at least, for God to describe himself as jealous. It's interesting, though, the Hebrew word that is translated as jealous in the Old Testament carries the idea of being zealous. It describes an eagerness to protect something that is precious on a personal level. Zealousy, and I made that word up so that I didn't have to use the passive voice in this slide, Confessions of an English Major. Zealousy is an eagerness to protect something that is precious on a personal level. And when God describes himself as jealous, that is what he means. One thing that we see that God is jealous for in the Old Testament are his chosen people. God is jealous for his people. He is zealous for the devotion of his people. Zealous for an exclusive relationship with his sheep. And then something else that God is jealous for in the scriptures is his holy name. He is jealous for his holy name. And both of those things, God's jealousy for his people and his name, come together in a really interesting way in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus, we read that Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God. And and after he did that, he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the law in his hands only to find the Israelites already disobeying by worshiping the image of a golden calf. And when Moses came down from the mountain, tablets in hands, and he saw this, the scriptures say that his anger burned. He smashed the tablets to pieces, burned the calf, ground it to powder, and then commanded the Levites to discipline the people. And all of that represents a very vivid expression of God's jealousy through his servant, Moses. And Moses is essentially embodying God's jealousy for the devotion of his people. And and after all of that, in Exodus 34, God invited Moses back up onto that mountain where God revealed his glory to Moses in a way that had never been experienced before, And proclaimed himself to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And then after that revelation, God said this to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 12. He said, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their staked stones, And cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a Jealous God. So we see there, God declares that his very name is Jealous. And that reflects his desire for the exclusive devotion and worship of his people. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or praise my idols. Like God is adamant about protecting the glory of his name. His name is, a rep- is representative of his position as the one and only almighty God. And he is zealous about protecting that. As he says in Ezekiel thirty-nine twenty-five, I will be jealous for my holy name. And here in Psalm 23, we see that God's guidance of his people actually has that very thing in mind. He guides his sheep. He guides us along the right paths. Why? For his name's sake. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created us in his own image. He created us to be icons of him to be physical representatives of his likeness on Earth. I don't get too excited about movies anymore, um, but I was excited when I heard about the upcoming movie, Air, uh, which tells the story of the origin of the Air Jordan basketball shoe that Nike launched back in 1984. Perhaps you've seen this film. Uh, But there's a scene at the end of the movie uh, where Nike founder Phil Knight who is played by Ben Affleck, which I'm sure was a compliment to Phil Knight, Uh, he's asked about the swoosh. And Phil Knight says, when he's asked about the swoosh, that he paid Carolyn Davis $35 for the design in 1971. And when he's asked if it was true that the first time that he saw the swoosh that he didn't like it, Knight says that what he said was that he thought that it would grow on him. He didn't say he didn't like it, but he said that he thought it would grow on him. Well, funny enough, today, uh, that $35 design is the most recognizable icon in the entire global economy of signs. In fact, the swoosh is so recognizable that Nike doesn't even have to put their name on their advertising if they don't want to, like you see in this billboard here on the screen in Beijing. Just do it. Swoosh. And you know exactly what that means. Right? You see the swoosh, and you see Nike. You see the swoosh, and you know exactly what it represents. And God has created you and me in his very image to function in a similar way. Right? He created us to represent his name with our lives so that when people see us, they see the very character and nature of God and his kingdom. God created you and me to live as representatives of him so that when people see us, they see the very nature of God and his kingdom. And it's precisely because of that that we see here in Psalm 23 that God guides us along the right paths. He guides us for his name's sake because our lives are ultimately a reflection of his name. As we embody the presence and mission of God's kingdom in the world, our lives are a reflection of God's very name. And God cares about that deeply. He guides us along the right paths for his name's sake. Uh, we are very excited this morning uh, to have a couple of very distinguished guests with us today, Matt and Coralie Brown. And I'm going to ask the Browns to join me on the stage. You can welcome them if you would like as they make their way up. Matt and Coralie have been a part of the highway community for a long time, way back to the early days of ministry at Palo Alto High School. And uh, they were also the first full-time missionaries sent out from our church community. In 2008, Matt and Coralie were commissioned uh, to serve in Afghanistan, and they moved to Kabul with their two children, Rhea and Eben, uh, where they served for five years, uh, returning home in 2014. And then in 2016, they moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and they taught me how to say Louisville. Um, They moved to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where Matt has been serving with the Crescent Project, and Cora Lee has been working as a medical caseworker with, at Kentucky Refugee Ministries. Uh, and, and as we consider this morning, you know what it can look like to experience the Lord our Shepherd guiding us along the right paths for His name's sake. I asked Matt and Cora Lee if they would be willing to share a little bit of their story with us. So to catch us up and give us some some context, you lived and served in Afghanistan for five years. Tell us about what that first season of ministry was like for you overseas?
1: So, Afghanistan for us was a very distinct period of God's guidance in our lives. Um, it's It was like walking along a well-worn path along the side of a river. It was very, very clear which way we were supposed to go. Um, and in that path, it, I like to think about um, the song, Blessed Be Your Name, mm-hmm. um, to reflect what that season of life was for us, um, because along that path, it was both the place of streams of abundance and the road Mark was suffering altogether. It was a very rich, joyous, hard time of our lives. Um, Matt was using his IT skills um, that he'd built here in the Bay Area. He was doing um, IT and operations first for an eye care hospital system in the country, but then also for the main office of our nonprofit that we were working with.
2: And during this time, our kids were still very young, and so Coralie spent a lot of time taking care of them and also helping administer uh, the programs that they were part of to care for them. Um, towards the end of this time in 2014, um, the se- security situation in Afghanistan really started to deteriorate. Um, our church was was bombed. Our um, A friend of ours who worked at a hospital nearby, the, a policeman who was assigned to uh, guard and protect that hospital, opened fire on a number of foreigners, and our friend was killed. And about seven days later, it was clear both for for us and our missions agency, the company we worked for, that was time for us to leave. And so we evacuated the country.
0: Thanks for sharing that. So you evacuated. It happened super quickly, right? You found yourself back in the United States. And then there were, there were two years between your, your sudden and abrupt return home and the move to Louisville. And so how did you experience God's guidance during that season? How did God guide you to, to Louisville?
1: So that period of time was like coming out of the river gully um, path into a mountain meadow. Um, first, mm. it was just suddenly we were in a period of rest, which we really at that time desperately needed, mm. and we weren't really willing to take that time on our own. So God blessed us with that. Um, but it also, as we got our bearings, um it was really confusing um, because it felt like there were a hundred different deer trails out of that meadow. Um, All really interesting, fruitful ministries that we could pursue. Um, There, of course, was going back to Afghanistan um, once the security situation with the elections had had stabilized. But um, there was also opportunities around the world to um, get involved in the migrant crisis um, working in the UK Germany um, working with displaced people in in Turkey Jordan um, northern India there was um, opportunities locally to get involved um, with issues of racial justice all really good paths to follow um, and it was really strange to suddenly be in a period of time where the path wasn't quite so clear and distinct. But God really showed us that our path was to follow this mission of seeking shalom, seeking peace and well-being and wholeness of the community that we were a part of. And that he had given us the freedom to work out exactly which path it was that we were to take to follow him in that mission, um, that we could... Think about our talents, our passions, the needs of our family, um, in trying to figure out exactly where it was that we were to follow him in that working towards shalom.
2: Mm-hmm. And if you think back, this was this was in the the spring of 2016, and with all that was going on that at that time, seeking shalom for for people, um, we were um, hearing voices in the media and in politics who really weren't expressing that shalom for people of color, for immigrants, and for Muslims. And so it felt like there was a calling to uh, to be a voice for of love and shalom for those people in this country. Mm. And so that is something that really um, drew us back to maybe it's right to stay here in the U.S. and um, spent some time with shepherds and other leaders and mentors of ours, and really felt like that God confirmed that through those discussions.
0: And that eventually, then you you made your way to Louisville. And when you moved to Louisville, there were a lot of unknowns, right? You didn't you didn't know anybody. <laughs> you, there were a lot of things that you that you didn't know the community that well, right? But there was this path that was leading there. Um, but now, as you've settled, as you've lived there and served there for for seven years. Uh, How have you seen God confirming that as a right path? Uh, How have you been able to to be his representatives there?
1: So I'm sure many of you have had this experience when you're out hiking and you get to a place where you feel like you might have lost where the trail's going. Um, and then you look back over your shoulder, and you see where the trail has led you so far, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely still on the trail. I'm not lost. And by comparing what has gone behind you, you can mm. see, oh, here is the trail where I go forward. Um, and when we look back on that first year in Louisville, we really can see how God was leading us very mm. clearly and blessing us and enabling us to move forward in ministry. And um, the first weekend we were in Louisville, um, we were trying to seek out a of, out of, um, church to fellowship with, um, and we started by uh, going to a local Covenant Church. Um, that's the denomination that my husband grew up in in San Diego, and. Um, we just went to a random church, mm. and it turned out that this was a little congregation trying very hard um, with struggles, but lots of authenticity, um, to be a authentically in, uh, interracial church, um, and the. What we learned during that time, engaging in those discussions, working through some of the difficulties and uncomfortableness of what it means to be an interracial church, um, really taught us a lot and um, enabled us to be able to walk with some of our friends as so they were um, going through the Brianna Taylor uh, pr- protests in, in Louisville, which um, was a very specifically local um, issue. I know it got a lot of, a lot of national press, but... Um, and it also, interestingly, that um, local community had a, a number of people that had been um, overseas missionaries that were, had returned to um, mm. the states. And mm. so we weren't that those weirdos um, that had been in <laughs> Afghanistan, which is actually a very refreshing thing to be. <laughs> and so that first Sunday, um, we sat and ate. Ate lunch after church with with a gentleman that works with Peace Catalyst, which is a very similar organization to Crescent Project, um, the organization that Matt works with. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a different approach to dialoguing with with and reaching out to Muslims. But what that helped us with was it it started building that network very very early on to enable um, Matt to be able to re- uh, bounce into the ministry that he was he was in Lowell
2: to do. Mm-hmm. And part of being in that church was really understanding how we could submit to the authority of marginalized people. Um, during that interim time, I had read an article about how um, the, the image of God inside of us includes our ability to exercise authority. And that is something that frequently people of color and immigrants and other marginalized people don't experience. That's something. That is taken away from them frequently. And so, for me, as a white male privileged man, it was um, important to me to understand and be able to come under the authority of our black pastor and our black worship director. And then at Crescent Project, the, our founder, who is a Lebanese immigrant, and my coworkers, who, many of whom are former Muslims. Mm.
1: Um, also in that first year, um, in December, I started um, interning with a refugee resettlement agency. Um, and God orchestrated it that within six weeks, I had a paid gig there. Um, and this was in a department of two people um, working as a medical um, caseworker. And my coworker, she just happened to be the granddaughter of um, a Muslim uh cohort of Gandhi, um, one of those heroes that you read about in terms of what he set forth to do in the world um, that Matt had read a lot about before we went to Afghanistan. And Um, we had a lot of similarities, a lot of resonance in our cultural um, experience over the years. Mm -hmm. And that similarity allowed us to really engage in a lot of really interesting theological discussions. Um, And she retired six months ago, and I miss her terribly. But it was just a really, really sweet season to be able to work alongside her for all these years. Um, so another thing that has happened recently, um, a few years ago, um, a client of mine came into my office. He just needed help with a medical bill. Um, and I had read something about this client and I said, oh, well, it says you're from Turkey, but your native language is Uzbek. So I asked him about how is that possible? And it turned out that he had grown up in a town very, very close to Osh, um, Kyrgyzstan. I had spent six months in, in Osh, um, after I'd graduated from college. Mm. And so it was this lovely chance to just connect about this random place in the the mountains in in Central Asia. And it was Mm. just really sweet to me. But then, just a few weeks later...
2: Just a few weeks later, um, Ramadan had started. And uh, my friend, who was part of Peace Catalyst, he had organized an iftar dinner with the Turkish community. And so I got together with them and he introduced me to their new leader of their community, a new Imam. And as, it, as we were having conversation, I was learning that, oh, he had grown up in Central Asia and though he was Turkish, he spoke Uzbek and Russian. And oh, he had met my wife at, <laughs> at, the, at the refugee center. And so that started just a really wonderful relationship We've been able to continue to get together almost on a weekly basis, having breakfast and having conversation. Um, He's particularly interested in finding out about the Christian faith, and we have discussions about theology, and um, it's just a really blessed time. And this is part um, of—it works into my work with Crescent Project, as Crescent Project has started an initiative to try to get Christian leaders and Muslim leaders to spend time together just to have a conversation those conversations can lead to all kinds of places. It can lead to sharing the gospel. It can lead to congregations spending time with each other.
0: Mm.
2: But it starts with a conversation.
0: Mm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing about the different things that God is doing and the way that things have come together as you follow that path, right? That That is a really, really... Deep and significant reminder that as we follow the Lord, our shepherd, he does know where he's going, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense to us at the very beginning. And uh, and, uh, it sounds like God has embedded you in a place where he is doing amazing things through you as his representatives. How can we be praying for you as your ministries continue? So
1: one thing is we're entering a season as a family that um, our daughter just turned 18, of all things. So we're entering a season where um, our kids will soon be launching into life. And um, if you just pray for me as a mother during that, that would be very, very helpful. Mm. Um, Another thing is uh, my work is very, very intense and a lot of long hours. And just for um, stamina to maintain um, patience and compassion in the midst of all Mm. of the stress because it is, it's, a, it's a lot, but it is definitely the place I'm supposed to be.
2: For myself and for Crescent Project, I would really appreciate your prayers for God to bring um, workers to us. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel. We have opportunities to um, bring Muslim leaders together with Christian leaders. The hard part is actually finding the Christian leaders who are ready to be in those relationships, to find other people like yourselves who are just ready to be um, in relationship with a Muslim friend, a Muslim family. Most Muslims in the United States have never been invited to a Christian family's home for a meal. Hmm. So that's something that as Crescent Project, we're trying to
0: facilitate and bring, bring about. Thank you so much. And uh, we will be praying for you as a community. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for sharing with us uh, just the tips of the iceberg of all that you're doing. Uh, Matt and Coralie are going to be available after the gathering out at the welcome table. If you'd like to connect with them and talk with them further, I would certainly encourage you to do that. But let's thank them for being a part of things today. Oh, sorry. You want to say something else?
1: I just also wanted to thank Highway. Um, you, you have walked with us in every step of the journey that we've been on. Um, and we just really, really appreciate your support
0: over all these years. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Thank you. And that's so good. You know, and one of the things that I heard as I listened that I think is so important for us to be mindful of as we walk with the Lord, our shepherd, and trust that he guides us along the right path is that the Browns had a couple of very distinct experiences of the path, right? The path to Afghanistan felt singular and clear. The path to Louisville, not so much. But I think it's interesting that Psalm 23 3 says that, the, that God guides us along the right paths, plural, for his name's sake. And I think that's an important distinction for us to remember. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Mark Hornbostel shared a video with me, uh, an old an old VHS film that he found a clip of on YouTube, and the, the clip was about illustrating for us uh, the difference between what we might, the picture that we might get in our mind when we read Psalm 23 of greener pastures and, and what greener pastures actually look like in Israel for real shepherds, uh, which is not, a, you know miles and miles of 12-inch deep alfalfa, but rather these little sprigs that come out, these green sprigs that the sheep actually feed on. That's what the green pastures are in that real context. But in the context of watching that video, there was also something interesting. There was a really cool shot of a hillside and of some sheep migrating across these paths on the hillside, and there was not one path with a pile of sheep on the path. (laughs) There were tiered paths down along the hillside all spaced in between them where there was the pasture on either side and the sheep were moving along these paths along across the hillside. And as I was reading Psalm 23, 3 this last week and, and recognizing this idea of like he guides us along the right paths, what a great image that is of the multiple paths that we can be on, right? That it may not be just one thing that we're trying to find, but that As we trust God and as there are multiple streams, as we walk with him, what we can always trust and what we can always know is that the path that he is leading us down is a faithful and a well-worn path. That as we step into the things that we don't know and trust the Lord our shepherd to guide us, uh, that he will guide us on the right path for his name's sake and that what he has for us on that path will be about us living more into being his representatives in some way. Maybe something that we see quite clearly maybe something that we don't, right? But that's the beauty of walking with the Lord, our shepherd, right? That as we walk along the right paths that we, that we set our sights on and that we hold on to, perhaps those things that we cannot see, right? Knowing that God goes before us, that he guides us and is guiding us for his name's sake. And may we have the wisdom and the courage to trust him as he does that. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we're just so grateful for today. What a rich celebration for us in so many respects as a community. And God, we thank you for this time with the Browns. And thank you so much, God, for their faithfulness to you, for their courage, for their wisdom, for their willingness to walk with you uh, across the world and then across the country in order to live as your representatives. And God, we lift them up in this next season of ministry. We're so grateful for all the ways that you have confirmed and affirmed their place in Louisville. But God, we ask for for Coralie, for rest and for strength as she serves you. We ask her for wisdom and grace as she parents her teenage daughter. And God, we're, we're touched by the work of the Crescent Project and the desire and the heart to bring Muslims and Christians together around meals and homes and ask God that you would raise up leaders in order to do that and that the power of a shared meal like we see so many times in Jesus' life and ministry, God would, would, would function as a place for the experience of shalom in real and beautiful ways. And God, as we come to you this morning, we all come with our own, we all come as a part of our own journey, walking along a path with you. And maybe we are not sure about the way that you're going. And and if if that's our place this morning, we say thank you, God, that you always know where you're going as our shepherd. I pray that your spirit would enable us to receive that. And God, Wherever it is that we find ourselves today, would you give us courage? And would you give us wisdom to trust that you, the Lord, our shepherd, are guiding us? May we look to you, God. Would we not be overwhelmed? But would we know that uh, as we walk with you, you always know where you're going? Amen.